Welcome to What's Next in Web3, where we look at the impact of Web3 on all areas of our life. This show is for entrepreneurs, builders, and consumers who want to discover the latest innovations in Web3 and learn where to build next. I'm your host, Brittany, Executive Director of the Stacks Foundation. Stacks makes it possible to build more with Bitcoin. To learn more, check out stacks.co. Each week, we are joined by expert builders in different industries to understand what can be built next. Shows are hosted weekly on Twitter Spaces, so join us live next time by following Stacks on Twitter. Now it's time for the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the conversation today, um, you know, talking about future predictions for NFTs. That's what kind of spurred this, this conversation, you know, um, at the Stacks Foundation, we're constantly looking for areas where builders can use existing technology and create new businesses um, or create new services. And I was very fascinated by your um, your tweets and, and your content that you've created around NFTs and what's possibly on the horizon, um, you know, AMMs, uh, NFTFi, or maybe you call it Nephi, um, as well as even like Bitcoin NFTs. I think that those are very relevant this week. Um, we've seen a lot of updates about them. So I'm very curious to get your thoughts. So I'd love to just jump in first. Maybe you can give a quick introduction about um, who you are and the work that you're doing. And then we'll get into the state of NFTs. Yeah, sure. So Thanks for inviting me today. Like, really excited to talk about a topic that's pretty dear to my heart. Um, so just a, a quick intro. I work at Delphi Digital. At Delphi, I basically head up our NFT research. And if you're not familiar with Delphi, um, just very briefly, Delphi Digital is um, a research firm. We basically serve um, professional investors, including hedge funds, VCs, high net worth individuals. And what we try to do is identify early trends in the Web3 space. So this covers like infrastructure, finance, NFTs, metaverse, and gaming, which is where I spend most of my time in. Um, and really, um, yeah, just immerse myself and try to think about like what the future is going to hold um, in this entire space. Um, at Delphi, we also invest in startups. So we have an early stage venture fund that invests in C and Series A rounds um, across, we're pretty much agnostic across like all Web3 verticals. So if you are a startup that sort of like incorporates the blockchain or NFTs in any way in the product, um, those are the kind of companies we love to learn a little bit more um, about. So yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of my background. Um, before entering Web3, I was actually working in tech startups, so really co-founded a healthcare data analytics company, um, spent about six years um, working there. But I would say that some point in time in the last two years, um, something clicked in my head. And I, as I understood a lot more about what the technology um, was there around blockchain, around crypto, around NFTs, I knew like this was going to change and transform like, all these different industries in the next five 10, 20 years or so. So I knew I needed to align myself in this space. So here I am. Great, quite an evolution. And it's great to hear you know, you've been investing in this space. I know that um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our community that are you know, looking for active investors who really understand the nuances to, um, to Web3 and even having the entrepreneurial journey yourself. 
So I wanted to, you know, kind of get your sense, maybe looking backwards a little bit about the current state of NFTs. You know, we've seen a lot of hype. I feel like there was like an NFT summer where, you know, we saw um, like board apes exceeding like millions of dollars per uh, per PFP. Um, then we've seen kind of a cooling off with some of the bear market. There's, you know, people who've um, lost a lot of value or, or become more skeptical of NFTs. Like, where would you say we are right now in the cycle? Because um, there was kind of this boom and maybe a little bit of a bust, but we're entering a new year. We're seeing a little bit of movement in the market. Um, what are your thoughts on where we are today? Yeah, um, I, I think that's a very good question. Like, um, I think you've brought up a very good point. I think what has happened in the NFT space is that, I mean, if you think about NFTs as a technology, it is a very nascent um, technology. It's only really started to gain prominence in the last um, two-ish years or so. And in that short period of time, we've pretty, pretty much been through a bit of a hype cycle um, with NFTs. And I think if we've seen like um, what happened probably towards the later part of 2021 and the early part of 2022, um, where basically I think that, that was a time where we hit the soft like peak of inflated expectations, where you could say like all the prices of these are NFTs were going up to pretty much, I would say, like, unexpected prices, like, uh, bought apes was, like, you said, nearly a million dollars, which is pretty crazy if you think about um, all of that. And after that, um, I think in the last, like, probably nine to ten months or so, um, the whole market has pretty much cooled down a bit. People started to look at what was really happening in the space. We are starting to have, a, I guess, like, a bigger reality check um, around the use cases of NFTs. And I think um, we are now at the stage where um, if you look at the typical like um, cycle where new technologies get adopted, the Gartner hype cycle, which is something I use as a sort of like mental model, I think we are very much at um, the trial of this illusionment, right? Where you know that there are a lot of people who have sort of like given up, they have left the space. Um, and those of us who are still here around, um, we are still constantly trying to figure out what are the real-world use cases that NFTs um, can actually bring. And I think that's that's really the stage we are. The only way that we can get out of this like trial of this illusionment is really to build our way out of this, right? We need to be able to find new um, and interesting use cases that will bring the next million, the next billion people um, into the NFT space. And I'm personally convinced that we will get there. It's just a matter of time because like, building things takes a little bit of time. But if you just look at the amount of innovation in the space, the number of like teams, entrepreneurs, builders who are creating and building a products right at this moment, um, I think there's so much reason to be optimistic um, around um, all of these things. That's great. And I'm right there with you. I think there's a lot of, um, optimism. I think there's uh, a lot of opportunities. You know, I think uh, what to me has been interesting, and we talked about this on a prior space, was around brands entering and brands seeing NFTs as a gateway to get, uh, you know, build better relationships with their customers, um, test out Web3 in a way that's approachable, easy to onboard people. And I do think we see a lot of people coming into Web3 
through NFTs. Like that's their first experience with ever having a wallet or um, using secret keys. So that onboarding point is very important, I think, to really getting, you know, the next, you know, five, 10 million people into Web3. Even things like I actually just got my access this week to like the Starbucks Odyssey. Now I'm not a like a regular Starbucks drinker, but I was just so excited to kind of like test out this experience. I mean, Starbucks has, uh, I think it's 50 million subscribers in their um, in their loyalty program, and so being able to open up the world of NFTs to such a dedicated group of people, I think, will be a very interesting um, path of saying, you know, can these things go mainstream? What will they look like? And then, like, what further utility can we get out of them? So I wanted to hear from you yeah. about, you know, sort of predictions for this year, because I know you kind of um, you have some great Twitter threads on like what's to come and where maybe we we see some very specific um, things like even with, uh, you know, one of the ones you mentioned was vertical marketplaces versus something like OpenSea, because OpenSea is like the default. They have the most volume. They're the most dense marketplace we've seen in Web2, that usually the biggest marketplace always wins because people want the most, um, you know, visibility into the products that they're selling. But you kind of had a counterpoint that maybe it actually, in NFTs, will be different. Maybe people will actually want to move away from such a big marketplace. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. Um, happy to really get into that. And yeah, I, I think like um, what you mentioned, like Starbucks like getting NFTs is actually one of the most positive signals and one of the things I'm most excited about like um, in, the, in the coming months. So really excited to see where that goes about. Um, I, I think like going back to the marketplaces, um, to me, I think the trend is, is pretty clear. And a lot of it comes from studying like what actually happened um, in the past um, 20 years uh, in the, I, I, I guess, like the more traditional Web2 space. And what we've seen time and time again happen is that in every sort of like space, right, or, or vertical industry, there's always this very big platform player that comes. And basically because they were early or they had a bit of a hit start, they start to capture a lot of users um, onto their platform. But over time, right, as that space or in that industry expands um, many times, like it starts to become fragmented, right? And basically, um, we start to see like newer startups um, start to capture market share from the incumbent uh, platform. And I think the, the biggest example that I can give is probably Craigslist. So Craigslist um, started probably back in, I think like 2000 or, or even before that, basically a classified ad site. Um, and today they're still doing pretty well in terms of volume, but you can see like all these different um, components of Craigslist that used to be um, serving ads for, say, real estate, um, for dating, um, for food, right? All of these things have been pretty much um, overtaken um, by other startups like, um, say, um, DoorDash, right? Or Tinder or Zillow, which have really come up to be a very strong specialist in that particular um, vertical and be able to capture the audience around it. So I think over time, that's what we're also going to see. Because today, we use the word NFTs to refer to um, everything as a whole, right? We, we call these like non-fungible tokens as NFTs. But the reality is that um, 
they actually function in, in many different sort of like use cases. NFTs can be used as, say, um, to create, for example, digital collectibles. It can be used in music. It can be used in digital art, generative art. It can be used in things like, for example, providing like token data access, um, membership components. Uh, it can be used in ticketing. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to see at the, the word NFT sort of like be start to split up and start to evolve along all these different pathways. And each of these pathways, each of these like verticals will have their own sort of like set of tools, will have their own sort of like set of marketplaces that will start to emerge and be able to start to, um, I, I guess, like take away market share from OpenSea today because OpenSea today basically is the place where everybody knows you go to trade NFTs. Like no matter what the NFT is, you know, the first thing you think about if you want to buy or you want to sell it, is to go to open sea, but I think in the future it, it's going to be quite different. And the reason is because, like in each of these verticals, be it say music, gaming, art, virtual land, the user experience or, or what user wants is actually going to be pretty different. Like say, if I were to want to go and start shopping for an art NFT, right, uh, a generative art piece that I like. It's going to be what I'm looking for is going to be very different than say if I were shopping for say um, a PFP like say the Bot Apes or the Crypto Punks. Like for the art side, I really want to know a lot more about the artist. I want to know about his branding. I want to know who are the other people who's collected his artworks as, as well. So we can. I'm going. We're starting to see like all these startups um, that are able to create a much tailored and better user experiences um, for each of these like, different verticals and start to build their own communities um, around these things. Um, if I go back to the art example, like one marketplace, which I think is really, um, has really found its niche is really super rare. And super rare is the marketplace where basically um, you go to buy um, one of one art, right? So basically digital art, generative art, that's usually not in a collection or not in addition, but single pieces is really sold on, on super rare. Um, and, and they've really been able to form that um, very bonded and strong community of art collectors who are there very actively discussing about artworks in the Discord, which is something that's very difficult for say a very general marketplace like OpenSea to do just because they are spread so thin and they have so many different things to do. So I think that's the trend that we are going to continue to see um, play out um, in the coming um, months to years. Um, so yeah, so I, I think definitely it's worth keeping an eye on these like newer marketplaces that focus on a very specific vertical. Um, and if that particular vertical starts to take off, um, you can be sure that these marketplaces will, will do very well. Yeah, that's great to hear. You know, I think there's like we've seen even emergence of different marketplaces um, in different ecosystems, but they're starting to have more assets cross chain, like, you know, sort of the multi chain world. Um, we have uh, Gamma and Byzantium are very popular ones in the Stacks community, but they're adding more things like Bitcoin NFTs, um, as well as uh, having some other platform NFTs on there. So I think there is, um, you know, there are some niches just based on like technology, but I would love to see that even more integrated with like those kind of particular verticals you talked about. So yeah, I wanted to, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I, no, I wanted I just, to get I your thoughts too on the, the, was... the Bitcoin NFTs, but I'll let you finish your thought and oh, then yes. I'd love to jump in on that. 
Oh, cool, cool, cool. No, actually, I, I was just going to, I was just going to, to um, hang on that point, right? That you brought up around like Bitcoin NFTs and the marketplaces. So I, I think this is just a perfect segue to sort of like get into all of that. Um, yeah, I think like um, maybe I'll, I'll just share some of my thoughts around like Bitcoin NFTs. Actually, I'll, I'll love to hear your your thoughts as well, since since you've been um, um, very much close. In, in the stuff like Bitcoin community as well. Um, so honestly, I was actually really fascinated to see um, this when I started seeing people talk about um, Bitcoin NFTs um, starting. And basically, um, if I understand correctly, at a very high level, a lot of it was basically spurred by the launch of this new protocol called Ordinals, which basically um, allows like individual Satoshis to be sort of like almost like NFTs, right? Basically, they, they are able, they have a bit of a numbering system for these like um, Satoshis. And basically, you can actually tie um, data back to these individual very specific Satoshis. And then basically, we've seen people over the past week or so experiment with putting all kinds of data um, and link it to these Satoshis to become sort of like NFTs. You've seen people put like images, they've put some, I've seen some audio files, I've seen even some like short videos um, come on um, and be NFTs. And I think it's a very interesting, um, I, I feel like there are a lot of things to sort of like um, talk about on this. Like firstly, um, I think like every chain or every ecosystem actually develops its own culture around NFTs. Like what we've seen with Ethereum is that there's a lot of focus on like PFPs. There's a lot of focus on high value art. And then you go to another um, ecosystem like Solana. And there's a lot of focus on Solana around trading, a lot around financialization of NFTs, right? And so like if Bitcoin NFTs really take off, I think it's going to be interesting to see what is the kind of culture um, that really arises um, out of it. Um, I think it's, it is very early in terms of like, there isn't a lot of like tooling um, around NFTs on Bitcoin right now, which makes it pretty difficult for say a creator to come in this space and start to build an NFT project um, around it. Um, if there's interest, I think, among the community, I imagine there'll be entrepreneurs that will come and start to build some of these tools that allow people um, to, to start to create these NFTs. Um, but I think that the thing that was actually most interesting to me around this whole issue was that there was quite a lot of controversy um, when people started talking around, about Bitcoin NFTs. And there was a group of people that were very um, excited um, and basically they, they thought of it as like a new way for the Bitcoin network to start to generate fees and start to potentially become a very sustainable sort of like network um, as the um, um, sort of like mining rewards start to come down over time. Um, and, and so this was a way that potentially the Bitcoin network could start to generate a lot of fees. And then there was another group of people that were sort of like, I guess like NFT haters and basically they said that um, they didn't like whatever was going on with these Bitcoin NFTs and they felt that um, it was really um, marring the, I, I guess like the, the puristic use case of Bitcoin, was, which is really to be 
uh, currency, to be a money, and for people to, for example, do financial transactions on it rather than, for example, uh, post monkey pictures onto the blockchain um, itself. So I thought that was a very interesting sort of like um, um, debate um, that was sort of like going on over the past week or so. But I mean, curious to love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we at Stacks, you know, we make it easy to build things on top of Bitcoin. And we made an announcement in Q4 that you'll be able to actually write to the Bitcoin chain, but you wouldn't be storing just all of that data in the Bitcoin chain. You would be using it more kind of like an L2. It's like the easiest way to understand. So you could, you know, be doing large um, collections. You could be doing all this stuff using the Stacks network into Bitcoin. And we've gotten so much... Uh, maxi hate like there's a lot of view of like bitcoin only has one purpose and we want to keep it pure we want to keep it light and i think um the introduction of ordinals where the data about the nft is actually stored in the bitcoin transaction block I think this is only possible now because of the taproot upgrade that happened uh people are very angry that this is gonna you know clog the chain <laughs> But I think people have to remember, like, that's what, you know, the premise was. Like, Bitcoin is a ledger, and it's meant to record data. Yes, there's, like, a lot of value associated with the asset, but it actually wasn't just about being an asset. It was actually, you know, having a global public ledger that was very secure, um, and there were a lot of incentives for Bitcoin in order to keep it secure and open. So, you know, I think the Maxis are a very vocal group, but I think overall they're a very small group. And so I think the excitement around being able to put more on the Bitcoin blockchain comes from people knowing that, like, Bitcoin does have a lot of followers. It does have a lot of loyalists, people who want to see, you know, as the mining rewards diminish over time, more transactions and more transaction fees for miners can help replace that missing, uh, you know, Bitcoin payout that miners were getting. So we want the chain to continue to be secure. And the only way to do that is to build more value that sits in the Bitcoin chain. So whether it's a good thing that, you know, a lot of images are going to get stored in these Bitcoin blocks, and that means every miner is going to have to replicate <laughs> the storage of that over and over again when they're securing the network. Yeah, I can kind of see like how that could be concerning of how expensive or how large um, the blockchain can get. But I don't think there's a way you can prevent it. So at Stacks, we're a little bit more focused on like, okay, how do you make it faster, cheaper, easier for people to create Bitcoin native NFTs um, using something like Stacks, which is uh, a layer on top. So I'm excited. You know, I think we've, we've had in our community, a working group thinking about how to more natively tie uh, Bitcoin to NFTs so that you could just pay using Bitcoin, you wouldn't have to wrap it, you wouldn't have to use some other asset um, for your NFTs. And I think that's pretty cool because just given how much um, Bitcoin is floating around in the world, <laughs> I think it's like some people want to use it or they want to, um, artists want to earn in it or artists want the security of Bitcoin with their artwork because it's like, it's either of high value or they want it to be very lasting. So I think some of the features of Bitcoin that are different than you know Ethereum or Solana create this big runway of, of creativity that can come. So I'm thinking it's going to be the year of the Bitcoin NFTs. We're already seeing it <laughs> in February. Uh, but 
anyone who's interested in that, I highly recommend you uh, check out some of the stuff while we're working on at Stacks. I think it is very complimentary to ordinals and anything else in the space. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, um, I think it's super cool to be able to see like this utility layer get built upon Bitcoin and, and for it to start to perhaps like, have some of these like newer use cases that go beyond just uh, financial sort of like product. So, so yeah, we'd love to see that. Yeah, and maybe it kind of ties into one of the other predictions you had for the year about this, you know, I think you used to call it NeFi. I was like, is it NFT-fi? which is basically the marrying of NFTs and DeFi. Uh, I, I know that there were some projects last year that were giving out loans against your NFT portfolio. So trying to create you know, NFTs as a core asset. But I think you were kind of thinking about it a step further of how do you unlock value that's maybe tied up in these digital assets and use it in like financial services in some way. I mean, I think that could definitely be a big exciting on-ramp on the Bitcoin side because most Bitcoin doesn't participate in any sort of DeFi. So perhaps there's an overlap of this NeFi <laughs> that's getting us um, more value unlocked from the Bitcoin chain, more excitement for artists or collectors to uh, use their NFTs in a different way. So I w- would love for you to share kind of like your thoughts on like what that could possibly look like uh, with the DeFi NFTs together. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that Dobodin has really figured out like what's the best way to call it. I, I personally just call it NFT finance or something, but uh, I, I don't feel like there's a consensus yet um, around all of this. But um, it is actually an area or sector that I feel that is very exciting. And it's very exciting because there's so many people who are building interesting things around these like, sort of, like financial products that sits on top of NFTs. And I think it is particularly interesting because um, I do think that if these like, financial products start to gain traction, they can actually bring in a lot of like, new participants into the space. For example, people who are, were not, say, into these like, monkey JPEGs or into NFTs or into PFPs, but when there's an opportunity to, say, make uh, profit, right? For example, through market making or through lending, Right, we're going to start to see like these new, more sophisticated participants actually come into the space, come to get involved in NFTs, and I think that's what's important to really make NFTs truly become an asset class um, on its own. And I think the trends also support a lot of this. If we look at what happened in 2022, um, and I'm talking about like um, on the Ethereum chain, basically what we saw was that there was a very um, significant increase in the amount of NFTs that were actually used to take out loans. And basically, these NFTs were put out as collateral um, for, for these different loans on a few different platforms like Niftify and Arcade. And we saw like the volume of loans over the course of 2022 actually 10x from initially about 50 million at the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, it was a total of like over 500 million in loans were actually taken out like using NFTs. And I think this is a sign that there is a demand um, for some of these um, type of services. And I think it's really good because this actually starts to set a foundation for newer and more interesting stuff like DeFi kind of products to be built um, in the space. Um, I think that if you think about like what happened with the whole DeFi space as well. I think it was really triggered by, I would say, like two two main primitives, right? Um, firstly, is Uniswap, 
Um, and secondly, is basically having a very established like borrow and lending sort of like market like Aave. So I think the same things are also being established um, here um, in NFT finance, where we are seeing um, borrow lend protocols start to gain traction. We're also seeing these like NFT um, automated market makers, AMMs, also start to gain traction. And I think as these two type of products start to become more established, they start to um, have greater levels of liquidity, then we can start to see um, much more um, creative and sophisticated sort of like financial products be built upon these. And some of these like financial products that I'm personally quite excited about is, for example, uh, NFT derivatives, right? For example, options and perpetuals. Um, already seeing a couple of startups, like for example, a startup called NFT Perp that actually allows you to, I guess, like speculate on the prices of these like, NFTs without actually having to own any of these NFTs. And I think it's, it is unlocks a couple of like, new use cases where um, firstly, it allows more people to participate in that sort of like, NFT um, market. For example, you don't need to fork out a few hundred thousand dollars to own a bot ape. In order to speculate on the price of it, you can just put in, say, a thousand dollars, right? And you, you can still um, um, capture the upside if that goes up. And then it also allows like NFT owners to hedge um, their um, sort of like portfolios in NFTs as well. And so I think it, it's generally a very positive um, signal for the market. I think the other thing that um, it's probably worth talking about a little bit as well in the NFT finance space is really around the AMMs. Um, so basically, the, the thing that really started off this trend was a marketplace called PseudoSwap. So PseudoSwap is, if you think about it, is conceptually the equivalent of Uniswap, but for NFTs. And basically what you do is you can create these like liquidity pools by pairing NFTs with say ETH or any other kind of fungible token. And then you start to create a market uh, around that. So I think these NFT AMMs are, are very interesting because they provide a user experience um, as well as use cases that are quite different from the order book focus like marketplaces like OpenSea today. Because with uh, AMM, like PseudoSwap, basically you can sell your NFT immediately and you can get instant liquidity. Whereas like say, if you were doing it on OpenSea, you would have to list the NFT on OpenSea and then wait for someone to actually purchase it off the, the market. And so that instant liquidity um, unlocks a lot of very interesting potential things that can be built upon um, all of these things. So I think that's something that I'm definitely keeping an eye um, out about. So are there a lot of those like already built today, the AMMs, or are you seeing like, you know, new categories arise? Because that seems like definitely a, a hot place in the DeFi space. Um, I'm just curious yeah. if like people so, could build there or if you, if people could go use it today. Yeah. So actually I would say that um, it is a pretty um, competitive space right now in terms of AMMs and there are a lot of projects I know who are either have just recently launched their own AMMs or will be launching their AMMs in the coming um, in the coming months. So it's going to be a, a bit of a, a battlefield, I would say, uh, because there isn't any AMM that has truly established itself as the the dominant player, like 
say OpenSea has done for NFTs. Um, PseudoSwap was really the first AMM to come to market sometime in July of last year. Um, but it has, um, I would say it hasn't really gained as much traction as some people might have thought. And we're already seeing this like new wave of AMMs that come to the market with, I would say, fairly interesting features. Um, for example, some of these AMMs allow, um, allow you to, for example, like do fractionalization of your NFTs. Some of them allow you um, through certain design principles you can also trade like NFTs that are not just the floor NFTs, but NFTs of a certain rarity within a collection itself. Because I think one of the challenges with um, PseudoSwap is that um, because like, it treats all NFTs within the collection as, as the same, um, basically it's just, it is an AMM for floor NFTs. If you put a rare NFT out there, it basically treats, the, the protocol itself like, treats the rare NFT the same as the sort of like, more common uh, NFT. And that has been one of the problems of this AMM software model. So we are seeing a lot of um, newer companies and startups that actually um, have some of these, like, I would guess, like more unique features actually come to the market. I think the challenge for all of these AMMs, um, AMM startups is how do they sort of like bootstrap that initial liquidity and find that initial set of users. Um, that has been a constant um challenge and they either go about doing it through a lot of heavy marketing uh, or they sometimes launch a token and use that token as an incentive to drive people to solve like provide liquidity but i wouldn't say i've seen any uh, major success story right now which means that there is a lot of room for someone who has a great idea and is able to sort of like execute well on the product to actually come in and be a very credible sort of like competitor uh, in this space, just because it's so new. If you think about it, um, PseudoSwap launched like just barely six months ago, right? So we are barely in really the very first innings of this um, NFT AMM sort of like space. Yeah, I think that's great insight. I'm curious to hear where else you hear, like where, what else you think could be built today in the NFT market um, that doesn't exist or where you think startups or even creators um, have opportunities to kind of bring something new? Because it does sound like, okay, a, a pseudo swap competitor, uh, one that's trusted. Um, I'm sure also dealing with some of the uh, potential regulatory issues around fractionalized NFTs. Um, we spoke uh, with someone from CoinFund and he kind of pointed out that once you start fractionalizing NFTs, they look a lot more like a security. Um, and that could be problematic, especially to US uh, people. Um, so I think if we could figure out <laughs> that piece, that might actually be really useful to the U.S. market. Um, but yeah, when I hear, you know, the entrepreneurs on the call, what are the things they should be looking into? Yeah, for sure. So I would say that the first thing I would say is um, to anyone who's like, sort of thinking of like, either launching an NFT project or NFT collection, is probably not to launch a PFP project because I feel like... Um, like we, we've gone beyond that as well. I, I think the PFPs that sort of like came to market, like the Bot Apes, the Azukis, the Moonbirds, um, all these entities, they really arise at a very, um, I, I guess like serendipitously, like they were at the right place at the right time. They were able to get interest, funding, 
And so that means they really have a chance of survival. But I think today, anyone who's thinking of launching a soft like PFP type project is facing very, very, very strong like headwinds um, around it. So that's the first thing I would say. I think the next thing is that there is a lot of opportunity to build um, infrastructure and tooling to support NFT projects and creators as well, right? So um, when I say like support NFT projects, these would be things like sort of like marketplace, sort of like products, um, not, I would say, uh, uh, say um, a copy of say OpenSea, but rather new ways to, for example, aggregate liquidity across like various marketplaces. Um, one example is a company called Reservoir, who actually does a lot of that, um, aggregating both on-chain as well as off-chain data around NFTs, which I think is going to be a very core piece of NFT infrastructure. But there's just so many more things that can be built that will help like um, creators and builders in the space to do things a, a lot better. And I think the part around the creator component is very interesting because another one of sort of like my predictions is that I think in the coming year or so, we're going to see a very huge wave of, it could be celebrities, um, artists, um, brands, um, who were previously, say, not familiar with crypto, not familiar with blockchain, actually come and start to launch their own NFT projects. And I think the thing that um, sort of like foreshadowed a lot of this was um, seeing Donald Trump launch his own NFT collection like just uh, last month or so. So I, I think this sort of like highlights a trend that we're going to we're going to see. And when all these creators actually come and start to experiment and want to be involved in the NFT space, um, they're not they're not the most technical people, right? They're not the most um, well-versed in the whole space as well. And we need to be able to provide the kind of tools that allow them to do things that they want to do in the space. For example, minting new NFT projects, um, having like sort of like token-gated solutions that allow them to create utility for their uh, NFTs that they mean. I think having a lot of these like tools and infrastructure can be very powerful uh, things to, to really look into. And then I think the third thing, which I think is also a very interesting opportunity for entrepreneurs, is really around the social social space, right? A web three social thing. And I think NFTs play a very important part here. I think we've seen, for example, protocols like Lens Protocol on Polygon, um, we've seen like something like Farcaster, which is basically a Web3 version of Twitter. Um, I think there's a very big opportunity um, to build what the next version of the social media giants that we have today, the next version of Facebook, the next version of Twitter, the next version of Instagram. And I think in this space, what is going to have, what we are going to see sort of like actually gain adoption is probably something that doesn't copy exactly what these current social media companies are already doing. But doing something in a very, I would say, newer sort of like way that really leverages a lot of the advantages of Web3 technologies. Like for example, having access to on-chain data that allows you to identify a user by the number, say the kind of transactions they've done before, some of the say NFTs they've collected previously, which you can see in his wallet. I think using all of these things to build that sort of like social graph is also of something that I feel like is going to be a very powerful um, trend in the, in the coming years or so. So I think these are just a few, just a couple of ideas, but to be honest, 
there's just so many different there's just so many different um opportunities um I would say for entrepreneurs to be because NFTs are just such a versatile technology and they can be applied in so many different um areas. So I really encourage everybody who's thinking about like like um or who has like creative ideas in this space to really just give it a go and see see where it can go. Thank you. Yeah, we'll have you know it should. I want to hear. Um, you know, we'll open it up to questions. So if folks are listening, you have a question, just hit that request uh, to speak button. But um, before we do that, where can people find you, learn more, and then if they're interested in, in pitching their company, maybe they've been working on something you mentioned. How would they uh, approach an investment with um, Delphi? Yeah, sure. So I would say that. Um... I'm pretty contactable on Twitter. So basically just um, follow me. My DMs are open. So if there's anything you want to chat about, you have a question or you want to share a bit more about your company or startup and what you're doing, just drop me a DM on Twitter. I think that's the best way to do that. Um, Delphi, we do have our Twitter as well uh, at Delphi underscore digital. So I guess that's the place that you can find Delphi, which is the company I work in. And then I, I guess I'll just mention that I also do share my thoughts around NFTs and Web3 on a sort of like more personal, more unfiltered sort of like basis um, on the Substack that I write. Um, it's also in the link in my Twitter profile. So um, love if you check it out, drop any comments and you might have around these things. Always love to chat and exchange ideas with, with other, all of you like intelligent people out there. Great, thank you for all the highlights. Um, you know, I also highlight for entrepreneurs building in the you know Bitcoin ecosystem or want to dive more into the Bitcoin NFTs. Um, you can go to stacks.org. You can check out some of the, the initiatives that we've been supporting at the foundation, like working groups thinking about this, as well as um, we have an accelerator and a pre-accelerator for teams who are looking to build in that space. It's a great way to work among other peers get up to speed, launch your idea. And, um, you know, if you choose to go raise funding, you could, you know, potentially get connected with folks like Delphi Digital. So highly encourage you guys to check that out. I don't see any folks wrap, uh, popping up for the voice, but um, I think there was a question about what a Satoshi is. I think this goes back to ordinals, <laughs> if you want to take that one. Uh, you know, you said that it's um, ordinals are tied to each Satoshi. Yeah. Um, so basically, the one Satoshi is basically the smallest um, unit of Bitcoin. So if I'm not wrong, um, 100 million Satoshis make up one Bitcoin. So I think the equivalent on Ethereum is basically a way. So one way is the smallest unit of ETH. So basically, that's, that's the, it's just a unit of currency. Exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes people use this thing like stacking stats. <laughs> so uh, the Satoshis being the stats. Um, you see a lot of this in like some rewards programs where you're getting, you know, like micro pieces of Bitcoin. And you're like, oh, you got 100 stats <laughs> um, or 100 Satoshis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a term that a lot of people kind of use um, because like just want to accumulate as much crypto, as much Bitcoin um, as possible. So yeah, I remember seeing that being thrown around quite a bit. 
So I had a question, one more question we didn't cover yet was just around, you know, this idea of leveraging um, NFTs in DeFi, uh, like borrowing or lending against it, to me feels like a really risky <laughs> bet because there's such concentration, you know, in a single project that, um, you know, if that price were to move dramatically, it could completely destabilize like that lending um, and like the collateral itself is very volatile. Do you see any like risks there? Because I feel like that could be a very easy place, easy place to get wrecked if you're not careful. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think if we look at, yeah, I think you brought up a very good point because like NFTs are generally pretty illiquid. And that also means that the prices can be extremely volatile. And you're also open to the potential of people, say, even doing some kind of like price manipulation kind of things or so. And I think that's one of the reasons why, if you look at what has been built in the NFT lending space right now, um, basically it tends towards these like peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms that has gained the most traction. And basically on these like peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms like Nifty5, um, there are basically, there's a single counterparty on both sides. So basically you as the borrower, Basically, you're putting up your NFT for sale, I mean, for, for a loan. And then basically someone else on the other side says that, hey, these are the loan terms that I want to offer for your NFT. And basically, um, you accept that and then it goes into the escrow account. And basically, if the other side just defaults on repaying the loan, basically the NFT just transfers to you and you can do what you want uh, with all of that. So there isn't any direct risk on the protocol. Um, so I think... The challenge we've seen today is that we haven't seen like a super robust peer-to-pool kind of protocol um, for lending NFTs, which means that um, because like exactly what you said, there, there are still a lot of like edge cases that can happen um, with NFT prices that can actually cause some of these protocols um, to get wrecked, and basically all the lenders will basically lose a lot of money or so. I think in the one that we've seen so far that is. Um, that has been nearest to, to getting a, a decent amount of traction is something that's called BenDAO. And that is an NFT lending protocol where a lot of like bought apes and mutant ape holders actually used to take out like sort of like instant loans. But it did also face a little bit of like a stress test sometime last year, I remember, where there was a period in time where, this, where the protocol actually had no, had nothing left in its treasury, which means that people... Um, who actually um, loan their tokens or loan their ETH to the protocol wasn't able to withdraw it. Um, for for there were I think there were some re some reasons um, behind that, and they had to actually had to tweak some of the parameters. They actually had to reduce the loan to value um, for some of these NFTs in order to sort of like, prevent these kind of like, cases from happening again. So I think we've yet to see a truly robust. Um, automated like peer-to-pool kind of like um, lending protocol that comes about. I've seen some startups um, come with fairly interesting designs um, that will be launching soon. And I think the real test is that, because um, I mean, often when, you, when you're doing your own like sort of like um, testing on testnet or so, um, you don't really get to stress test the protocol in a real way. But when your protocol actually goes live with real money on the line with real users, I think that's where you see whether it really is able to stop like withstand um, all of that. So 
I, I think it's a challenging space. I think like they're also, I know of some people, like some of my colleagues at Delphi as well, they do think that um, it's just a very difficult pro- problem to solve and we may never be able to find a, a true sort of like very robust kind of protocol in the lending space. But I'm, I'm personally more optimistic and I feel like someone um, smart and creative will find some of these solutions. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing these insights and um, I hope we uh, see some of this come to life. We'll have to do this again at like the end of the year and see what predictions came true and <laughs> which ones are still work in progress. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to do that. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like to put these predictions out there as well. So that like at the end of the year, uh, I can go back and see like whether my thinking was right, helped me to sort of like gives me a bit of feedback in terms of like what took off, what doesn't take off. Um, I expect like more of them probably to be wrong than right because I think the crypto space is just unpredictable and we really have no idea what's going to happen in the next like 10 or 11 months. But yeah, we will definitely love to do that and see, see what happens at the end of this year. Yeah, in the future, you're going to have to just, you know, mint these predictions in a NFT and the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. That, that's, a, that's a fantastic idea. Maybe I should do that next time. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for everyone for listening in.